Dear friend, I'm Dr. David Jeremiah, and I'd like to take a moment to speak with you as the world faces the coronavirus pandemic. There is no question we are living in a time of unprecedented uncertainty. It is unlike anything I have experienced in my whole life. And the temptation in times like these is to allow fear and worry to creep into our thoughts and to rob us of our joy. But in these uncertain times, we need to remember that God is still in control. And my prayer for you is that you are healthy, you're in a safe place and surrounded by those you love. Please keep the ministry of Turning Point in your prayers as well. We will continue to bring the healing power of God's Word to you each day on radio, television, and online. And I really hope this will be a source of encouragement to you during the current coronavirus. So be safe, be in the Word, and be in prayer. If you've ever prayed that your children would get along and have bright futures, you can relate to how Jesus is praying for you. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah continues his look at Christ's intercessory role on behalf of believers and some of the specific areas of prayer he takes to the Father. Here's David to introduce the conclusion of his message. Is he praying for us or are we praying to him? Well, I told you um, on Friday that one of the most amazing little scriptures that I've read is this little phrase where Jesus is speaking to Peter and he says to Peter, Peter, I have prayed for you. And that opens up an entire vista of understanding of what happens in heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. The Bible says he's making intercession for us. He's praying for us. And wouldn't you like to hear him pray? Wouldn't you like to know what he's praying about when he prays for you? Well, we don't know the specific things, but we know the general things he prays about for all of us, and we're going to learn about that today as we open our Bibles together. What an incredible thing to know at this particular time in our life, in the situations we're facing as a nation and as families, as churches. What an incredible thing to know that we have one in heaven who cares, and he's praying for us. He's praying for you and for me, for wisdom and uh, for for the other things, I don't want to get ahead of myself and tell you everything ahead of time. I want you to listen, and we'll study this together in just a moment. We are in the midst of a series called The Jesus You May Not Know, and it's based on a book that has just been released from Turning Point. Uh, the book is beautiful. I, I have to tell you, um, it's beautiful because it's purple, and I have to say it's beautiful because purple is my wife's favorite color. I think I told you once that she has a a office here at uh, Turning Point, and it's purple. She has a purple uh, office. And if you remember, um, when we released the Jeremiah Study Bible back in 2013, we we had a special Bible created. It was uh, gray and purple, and everybody called it Purple and Gray from Mrs. J. And so you know she loves purple, and this book is purple, and the study guide is purple, and uh, that's just the outside of it. The inside is filled with truth about the Lord Jesus Christ and all the wonderful things that the Bible tells us about him, some of which you may not know. And one of the things you may not have known is that Jesus prays for you. We'll talk about that, but let me tell you how you can get this book. The book, The Jesus You May Not Know, is yours for a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of May. And friends, your generosity right now is so important. Um, Many of the people who would normally be giving to Turning Point are not able to do that because 
A lot of folks have lost their jobs. They've lost their income. So the ones who can, the ones who are able, the ones who who have the resources, whatever you can do to help during this time, we just thank you. We know that God has all this in his hands, and we're not worried. We're not uh, concerned because we've committed this to the Lord, and we know that uh, he will do for us what is needed. And, of course, you know he does his best work through all of us. So thank you again for your generosity, and we want to bless you and uh, add value to your life. When you uh, send your gift this month, ask for the book, The Jesus You May Not Know. And you can find out about the study guides and uh, the CD packages by going to davidjeremiah.org. That's our website. And uh, there you'll find all the information you need. You can get the whole package, but the book is yours for a gift of any size during the month of May. Well, let's get back to our lesson. Let's finish up our discussion of this question. Is he praying for us or are we praying to him? How many of you know that Satan is our accuser? He's called the accuser of the brethren. But did you know that the Lord Jesus is praying for us that we will not be overcome by Satan? The best illustration of that is in a verse of Scripture concerning Peter. Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus is talking to Peter, and this is what he says, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail, and when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. When Satan singled out Peter, Jesus assured Peter that he would not face the evil one alone. He told Peter that he was praying for his faith not to fail. Now we know hours later, it appeared as if Peter did fail. He denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. But how many of you know that wasn't the end of the story? You have to read all the way through the book of John to the 21st chapter. And after Jesus' resurrection, Peter returns to Jesus, and Jesus gives him the assignment to strengthen the brothers. In other words, in response to Jesus' prayer, God allowed Satan to sift Peter, but he did not allow Peter to fall through the sieve. And although Peter fell, his faith did not fail. What a reminder to us men and women that Jesus cares enough to pray us through our failures. All of us are men and women who have failed. We're not failures because we fail, but we have all failed in some way. And when we fail, the Bible gives us this encouragement that as Jesus prayed for Peter during his three-point denial of Jesus, Jesus prays for us. You know, we think, well, when we succeed, it's Jesus praying for us. No, when we're failing, Jesus is praying for us. And he prays us through our failures so that we get back to the place of fellowship with him. We don't fully understand the spiritual warfare that we face every day. We do not know all the ways in which the devil accuses us before God, but we have the blood of Jesus Christ pleading for us, and we have the one whose blood is pleading for us. Jesus protects us from the evil one. He shields us by his prayers and by the power of his blood. His prayers are a protective force around us. Jesus is praying for us. What is he praying? He's praying for our protection. He's praying for our security. Number two, Jesus cares about our sufficiency. Verse 13 of chapter 17 says, Now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy 
fulfilled in themselves. In verse 13, Jesus prayed that the joy he has might be fulfilled in us. He wasn't talking about just joy, but fulfilled joy, overrunning joy, abundant joy, sufficient joy. He was talking about Jesus' joy. Let me tell you, as you know, he's not talking about happiness. That depends on the happenings. He's talking about joy. That depends on Jesus. And Jesus' joy is so amazing. Jesus' joy is the answer to the Hebrew greeting, shalom. They tell us that the word shalom means more than peace. It means a sense of well-being within a person. The joy of Jesus is that sense you have that no matter what's going on around you, the most important thing is okay. And in your heart, there's this feeling, this sense of the sufficiency of the joy of Jesus. I've seen this illustrated in so many believers, and I've even experienced it sometimes in my own life, that during very troubling times and times that would normally take a smile off of your face, the inward Jesus puts joy in your heart that's beyond anything you can explain. You know, Jesus was a joyous person. I've always been amazed that when Jesus came on the scene, his first miracle wasn't at a funeral, but at a feast. It was at the Feast of Cana of Galilee. It was a marriage. Everywhere you look, Jesus was involved in joy. He performed miracles that set people on a tour of rejoicing. Throughout the New Testament, he generously imparted his joy to other people. One day, he healed a crippled woman. She stood right up and began praising God. The Samaritan leper, healed by Jesus, returned to Jesus, and the Scripture said, he was praising God in a loud voice. And when the lame man at the gate, beautiful, was healed, he got up and went into the temple. Listen to this. He was walking and leaping and praising God. Now, there's a man who's happy. Describing these moments in the life of Jesus, Paul put it this way. He said, the kingdom of God is righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Paul said, our lives ought to be characterized by righteousness and peace and joy. We ought to be the most joyous people in the world. That's what we have. We come to church and we can't help it. We rejoice. We sing upbeat music. We sing happy music. We sing joyous music. I know some people think you worship with a dirge, but I can't put that together in the New Testament Scripture. We are to be people of joy. We should never apologize for being joyous. One of the great lessons I learned when I studied the book of Ecclesiastes, which is a rather dark book because it records the writings of Solomon when he was away from God, and he's trying to reason life out as if there were no God. But even in the midst of all of that, eight times in Ecclesiastes, we are told to rejoice in the life that God has given us. Men and women, we should not go around all sober and look like life is over. Even in the most difficult things we have on earth, we have so much to be joyous about. Lewis Smedes was one of my favorite writers. He's in heaven now, but his books remain. Here's what he said. You and I were created for joy, and if we miss it, we miss the reason for our existence. Jesus experienced joy in his life, and now he's praying that we do the same. When I wake up in the morning, I often say this, as tired as I might be and as much as I don't want to get up, 
This is the day the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, if you've ever been through a serious illness, maybe one where you weren't sure if you're going to make it or not, every day is a gift from God, isn't it? And every day is a day to rejoice. And every day is a day to say, today is God's gift to me, and I'm going to rejoice in this day. I may not know the answers to all my problems, but I will not be defined by the difficulties of my life. I will be defined by the joy of Jesus in my heart. Jesus gives us that opportunity. Now, listen to all that, and then just let me remind you again, this is what Jesus is praying for us. He's not only praying for our security, he's praying for our sufficiency. He wants us to have joy, Jesus' joy, fulfilled joy, shalom in our hearts. Here's the third one. Jesus cares about your maturity. This is found in John 17, verse 17. This is what it says. Jesus is praying. He is praying, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. When I was a child growing up in my father's church, we used to have Wednesday night prayer meetings and Sunday night church services. And quite often, both on Wednesday night and Sunday night, they would take time out of the early part of the service for what they called a testimony meeting. We would have open testimonies. We do that now at funerals. We used to do it in church. Open testimony, open mic. It was always interesting. But what I noticed was there was always about three people that every week they would be the first ones up. And I hate to say this, but it was three ladies. And they always said the same thing. They would get up and say, I'm just so thankful that I'm saved and sanctified. And then they go sit down. I knew what saved was, but I wasn't sure what sanctified was. And I was pretty sure I didn't want it because I didn't want to turn out like them. I didn't know what sanctified was until many years later, and I found out it's not a bad word. It's a good word. Sanctified means to be made holy. Up in heaven, Jesus is praying that you and I will be good people, holy people. He's praying for our sanctification. The Bible is God's chief means of bringing that about, and so we aren't surprised to read that his prayer goes like this. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. What he's praying is that when we open this book, we don't just learn more of the Bible, but the Bible gets into our lives and changes who we are. He says, sanctify them, make them holy by your truth. Your word is truth. He's praying for us right now that the word of God that we're studying from John 17 will not just pass through our minds and out the other side, but they will find a place of residence in our hearts, and we will listen to the words, and those words will change us from the inside out. That's what Jesus is praying. He is praying for our sanctification. He is praying for our maturity. Here's the fourth one. Jesus is praying about our security, about our sufficiency. He's praying about our maturity. He's praying about our ministry. In John 17, 18, he says this, As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Now, let me just break that down for you. Jesus was the first missionary to the world in which you and I live. One day in heaven, God called his son to the throne and said, I need you to go to the earth where the people are struggling and don't know what to do and they're in sin. I want you to go there and seek and to save that which is lost pay the penalty for their sin on the cross. Now Jesus is saying to his Father, just as one day you sent me into the world, I am sending all of your disciples, including us, into the world. 
with the same message to seek and save the lost. What I realize when I read this is that Jesus is praying for us when we carry out the mission for which he was sent. Whenever we go out to do the ministry God has given us, we can be assured that up in heaven Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for me when I preach, as all of you do. Some of you pray that I won't preach so long. I understand that. But I don't think Jesus is praying that. I think you all are praying it, but I don't think Jesus is praying that. He's praying for you when you usher. He's praying for you when you teach children. He's praying for you when you work in the parking lot. He's praying for you when you drive the shuttle. He's praying for you when you serve on the board. If you're in the ministry of Jesus, you can count on it. You are on his prayer list. And he's praying for you that you will carry out the ministry in a way that brings fruit to the kingdom. He's praying for your ministry. Here's number five. He's praying for your unity. John 17, 21 says this, I pray, Jesus is praying now, I pray, Father, that they all may be one as you are in me, and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. In other words, Jesus is praying for our unity. He's praying that we have unity in our church. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because a lot of you would, Many of you have come out of situations where you've been in a church where unity wasn't anywhere to be seen. Maybe you went through a church split, or maybe you were in a church that was in a big fight. I remember reading about Ray Stedman. He said that Christians can be like a group of porcupines on a cold winter's night. They need to be close to another so they can reflect the heat from their bodies. But as soon as they get close enough to get heat, they prick each other with their quills, and then they spread apart again. When I first got to Fort Wayne... I used to go to the YMCA every day for lunch and play basketball for an hour. And there was a whole group of us that played. And over the arch of the YMCA, when you walked in it, were these words from John 17, that they may be one. We'd walk through the arch and go down in the pit and kill each other for an hour. That was such a rough experience. Believe it or not, I broke both of my ankles in one year playing basketball at the Y. But over the arch was that they may be one. (laughs) Kind of like many churches, you know, we speak it, but we don't live it. Thank God that we have this wonderful unity that God has given us. Don't take it for granted. It is something we have to protect. And right now, up in heaven, Jesus is praying for our unity. He's praying for our oneness, that we would reflect according to the Bible the same spirit that he has with the Father. He wants us to be one in our unity. And then finally, Jesus is praying for our destiny. Listen to this. Verse 24 of chapter 17. Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. Now, folks, here's another one of those little kind of upside-down truths. We all know that we want to be with Jesus. I mean, all of us, we talk about that. As we get older, we have so many people that we've invested in heaven already. We look forward to the day when we're with Jesus and we're united with the people that we love. But here's what we may not know about Jesus. Listen to this. Jesus wants to be with us. It's not just that we want to be with Jesus. Listen to this. It says that they may be with me where I am. Jesus wants us to be with him. Over in John chapter 14, he says, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now listen to this. 
that where I am, you may be also. Jesus wants us to be with him. We want to be with him. We know that, but did you know that Jesus wants you to be with him way more than you want to be with him? It's his desire for you to someday be with him. If you put your trust in Jesus Christ, there isn't any doubt about the fact that that will happen. The Bible says when you're a Christian, if you trust the Lord, absent from the body is present with the Lord. As soon as you take your last breath down here, you take your first one up there. And you're absent from your body, but you're present with the Lord. And the Lord Jesus is so looking forward to that that he prays about it in his prayers. It's on his prayer list that one day we will be with him. Listen, friends, Jesus is praying for us. He's praying for you. If you've been watching the news lately, you've probably noticed that Chicago is being mentioned a lot. A lot of bad things happening in Chicago. Many people being murdered there every year. Every year it's either one or two in the number of murders. Gang warfare. Chicago's a rough place. It's always been known for its mobs, but right now it seems like we've gone back to the 20s. Gang warfare is just awful. Right in the middle of Chicago is a place called the Pacific Garden Mission. When I was a student in college, I worked at a Christian radio station, and one of my tasks was to put the programs on the air that we aired on that station. One of them was called Unshackled. And Unshackled was a program about all the miracles that happened out of the Pacific Garden Mission. People that would come there, it was right down in the heart of the roughest part of Chicago. And people would come there with no options left. Long before street people became what they were, Pacific Garden Mission was the place where you went if you didn't have anything. If you couldn't eat, they would give you food. They'd give you a bed to sleep in. And part of the deal was you had to go to chapel. And they had preachers in there all the time preaching the gospel. Hundreds of thousands of people got saved at the Pacific Garden Mission and went out to tell their story. Thus, you had the program unshackled. And Pacific Garden Mission became the prototype for all the missions in all of the cities. There's a mission in L.A. that's a prototype of the Pacific Garden Mission. And it was kind of like the last resort. If you went there, you would just be overwhelmed at the condition of the people who filed in the door. They knew they could get something to eat. They knew there would be a place to sleep. But over the door of that mission were these words. Words that make you almost cry when you hear them. Here's what's over the door of that mission. Your mother's prayers have followed you. When you walk in the mission, that's what it says. Your mother's prayers have followed you. A subtle reminder to many of them that they had mothers who prayed for them. And those prayers followed them all the way to the mission in Chicago until finally they were arrested by the Spirit of God and brought to a place of redemption. I've discovered in my own life as a parent that there are certain things that we can do to influence our children. When they're small, we can guide them. We can make sure they go in the right path. We put them in Christian schools and we build some barriers around the edges of their life. But as they get older, there comes a time in our life when we have to turn them over to the Heavenly Father to pray that He would care for them, 
to pray that he would keep them, to pray that he would watch over them. I've gone through that with all of my children and some of my grandchildren. Lord, nothing more I can do, but I pray that you will guide them. Prayer is an amazing thing, and the Father in heaven is hearing the prayers of his Son Jesus for you right now. When he prays for us, we draw near to him. He draws near to us. And he's praying for you right now. If you don't know him as your personal Savior, his prayer is that you might come to him and open your heart and receive him. And if you're a Christian, I want you to hear the words of the Savior right from John 17. Here's what he's saying to you and to me. I'm going to be praying for you. He's going to be praying for you. I don't know what you're going through this week, but let me tell you something. Jesus is praying for you. You pray to Jesus, but Jesus is praying for you. He's praying for all these six things and others I didn't have time to get to. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows what your need is. And right now in heaven, before God's throne, he's interceding for you and for me. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus, for what you do for us. I am so grateful for the intercession that goes on between the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father. And I have been so thrilled to be able to tell you this wonderful truth from the Scripture that Jesus is praying for you. Well, tomorrow we're going to ask this question. Is he doing greater works or are we? And of course, the answer is yes. And we'll talk about that right here tomorrow on this good station. Don't forget to order your copy of The Jesus You May Not Know. Ask for it when you send your gift during the month of May. We'll see you right here tomorrow. Thanks for listening. The message you just heard originated at Shadow Mountain Community Church with Senior Pastor Dr. David Jeremiah. Share with us the difference Turning Point is making in your life. Write to Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 70509, RPO Oak Street, Vancouver, B.C., B6M 0A3. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's new book, The Jesus You May Not Know. It's written to give you a deeper intimacy with Christ and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard Version as well as the New International Version and in standard or large print in the New King James, all with helpful notes and articles by Dr. Jeremiah. Contact us today. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Jesus You May Not Know, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you enjoy listening to Turning Point with David Jeremiah, you'll be happy to hear that there is now a daily Turning Point television broadcast that you can watch each weekday. Tune in to Faith TV, Joy TV, or Miracle Channel Monday through Friday to watch the Turning Point daily television broadcast. Be sure to check your local listings for the channel and time in your area. Or visit davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV to download a program schedule or watch at your convenience. That website again is davidjeremiah.ca forward slash TV. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible. Jumpstart your Bible study with more than 8,000 study notes from Dr. Jeremiah to help you discover what the Bible says, what it means, and what it means for you. 
available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print. For more details or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash jsb. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society.